And the hard part is actually falling back and being like, okay, what do I need in this moment? What am I noticing? What's happening with me? And then what does this, what does the other person need in this moment? And you might, you might not know. So the best that you can do is just be present and be ready, just be open. But it hurts and it's really hard. We don't want to be open when we're in pain. Hello and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Where's Brendan? Well, I'll tell you. I have a couple of events coming up that you might want to know about. The first has already started. And that is the Time to Thrive 2021 Summit. It's a free five-week program that's going on now and it was created by my colleague, Lynn Edris. It's loaded with resources, tools, and support to help you rise above the chaos and reach your full potential. My topic is improving communication with emotions and logic. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'll be joining Lynn and some of the world's best experts to help her give you the tools, strategies, and support that you need to take control of your time and show up like we all know that you can. My conversation with Lynn will take place live on Friday, February 5th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know you'll get a lot of benefit out of the Time to Thrive Summit, and I highly recommend that you sign up. And I'm also presenting for Attitude on Tuesday, February 2nd at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be a live webinar, the title of which is When Teen Stress Ignites Strong Emotions, Teaching Anger and Frustration Management. With all of the difficulty going on, due to kids being home much more than usual thanks to COVID, I am confident that both of these programs will be helpful for you. And best of all, they're free. And those links, of course, are in the show notes. And of course, don't forget to check out our partner podcasts. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, both part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network, much like this very show. And as usual, this episode was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. I can't thank him enough for his help. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking with Todd Schmenk. Todd is a licensed mental health counselor and the author of Team Positive. In today's episode, Todd talks to us about managing the psychological pain of the COVID pandemic. Todd discusses the importance of accepting and writing out emotions, way to understand our observing minds, how to develop psychological flexibility, the critical role that context plays in our experiences, and why getting clear on our values can help us during this challenging time. All right, let's get rolling. My name is Todd Schmink. I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I work on the east side of Providence, Rhode Island at a place called Aqua Therapies. I primarily focus on 
well, up until COVID, about a third to half of those I work with are dealing with anxiety symptoms, anxiety problems and you know, issues. Um, another, about a third of what I deal with are couples. And then I do a lot of work with chronic health issues. And so that would have been uh, cancer and fibromyalgia, just, just ongoing um, medical diagnoses and the anxiety and the stress that goes along with that. Now COVID has changed that a bit. So now I'm dealing with COVID stress and I'm dealing with more than half of my patient base right now are actually medical, other medical professionals. So they're on the front line and I, I somebody called me, um, I'm like the medic. So I, I'm not on the necessarily always on the front line, but I am back behind and I've been doing a lot of support trying to, to keep doctors and nurses and phlebotomists and everybody who's gotta be in contact as sane as we can given the, the situation. That's such important work. That's critical. I'm glad that that's being prioritized. I'm glad to hear that because that's kind of a behind the scenes information that we don't always get as normal citizens, I guess. Right. And it also connects to what you mentioned to me just prior to recording, which is you're getting your vaccination for COVID. And you kind of had a surprising response to that. Can we go into that a little bit? Well, I, I first I was just like, oh my God, this is happening. And I filled everything out and, and followed all the, answered all the questions and then hit enter. And it's like, your date and time is this. And I immediately just started to cry. And I mean, it's, it's still, it's just still pretty fresh. So I'm still, uh, I'm still feeling it, but um, I didn't really, you know, it's there, you know, that the, the stress is there and you're using all these, these coping mechanisms and tools, but the body's going to do what the body's going to do. So it's just, there must, the thinking mind was like, oh, thank goodness, this is going to finally happen. Just because I, every time I guess I'm sitting in session with somebody, I don't know uh, what their status is. I don't know what the risk actually is. I've taken every precaution. I've got the, the air machine. I've got the masks on or the double masks on, or sometimes, you know, doing therapy without, with a mask on is quite difficult. And I've set my room up. I've got 10 feet apart, the air filters and so on. But there are times where I, I'll ask, you want to take the masks off for a moment? You know, do you want to do part of the session like this? We could do the mindfulness with masks on. We can, but if I, I need to track, I need to see what's going on. So in those moments, I'm, I'm exposed. Or there are times where people who don't necessarily want to wear the masks, but I still have to treat them. I still have to be in, in position. And I'll be like, you know, we, we can take it off for a bit, but we're going to put it back on. It's, it's just been a, a dance that I guess has been much more stressful than I had anticipated. Not to mention every time we go to the grocery store um, to stop to fill up gas or go to get dental work done. I'm sitting there with, you know, and, and the medical professional on the other side, I don't have much choice. You know, if you're in my mouth, you can't wear a mask. So it just, it's had such a profound impact and Part of what I try to get people to see is like, we can't even go to our elders, to our grandparents, to anybody and say, how do we deal with this? Because nobody has ever dealt like this. It's alive still. Those are all the things that are just kind of crashing or going through my mind is that this will be good. Then by the end of the month, I'll at least know that I am safe. The person sitting with me will know that I am safe. We can still keep the masks up. We can still use the protocol because we're not out of the woods yet. And obviously I'll clean in between and sanitize in between and do everything we can. But well, sometimes we do cry from joy, cry for relief, 
I mean, it's just been, we're all sitting on this and it's all bottled up. So for anybody out there who might be listening, whatever happens will happen emotionally, physically, mentally, and just allow yourself to just sit there and be with it. So I didn't try to push it away. I, I always tell people to visualize, imagine holding that, that experience that you don't want just in the palm of your hand lightly. Because if I tried to squeeze it and control it, it just been, ends up getting worse and my hand cramps up. If I try to escape it, if I tried to avoid it, it always comes back. You can't get away from you. And on the relief part of that, I watched that happen as you talked about your experience just now. I watched your body language and especially in your shoulders, you relaxed just, just a little bit. And I only mentioned that because it, this is an audio recording. My audience can't see it. Just in sharing, in sharing that journey and your thoughts on it, I, I watched you visibly relax a little. And that's great. I, I, you're the third person that I know now that is getting vaccinated. One is a healthcare worker. The other one does also mental health work for people in like sort of mental health emergencies. It's relieving just to know people who are getting vaccinated because I'm sure there's folks out there who don't. So it's nice to be like, oh, no, this is a thing that's really happening because it almost seems imaginary a little bit in kind of in the same way that when COVID first hit, people were like, that's not real. That's not, or it's not a big deal at the least. This is kind of the other side of that. Yeah. It'll go away. Yeah. It's just like the flu. Luckily I had known a few folks because I'm behind the front line on the front line on the medic I'm running back and forth. I've known a few people who already got the first shot. So I knew it was coming, but I was also told that I probably wouldn't get it until the end of the month and all of a sudden I just got the, the email today and it's like, boom, here you go. And I said, whoa. Yeah, congratulations. That's something to celebrate. When I can feel it, I can still feel the emotions cycling. So I keep going from you know, back and forth and back and forth. And I'll probably go through several cycles in this interview, so. Yeah, that's okay. We'll ride it with you. All right. I think it's important that my audience knows that that's where you are. I also think it's important that the audiences see that we therapists are still human. And even though there, we have that, that space in, in therapy where it's all about the person I'm working with, and I try very hard to keep my stuff out of it. I'm still human. And the, even though I have all of these wonderful tools and all of these great skills at my disposal, doesn't mean that I don't still feel the, the experience, the emotion. And it doesn't mean I always use them as well as I probably could. So it's just like we're, we're all human. I, I, when I'm working with folks, I always try to remind them you know, we are a team and we're working on this together because while I might be an expert in how the mind works and how behaviors work, you're an expert of you. So on that, we're, we're even, we're bringing equal amounts of importance to the, the relationship. So just another way of actually seeing behind the curtain with us therapists that we still have to deal with all of this. I'm not a robot. And related to that, you also show us that neither are doctors and medical care workers because they're coming to you to talk about what they're experiencing in all of this and trying to get themselves balanced and back online. Yeah. And that's been one of the key things is that with a lot of the, the, the doctors and nurses on the front line, they're like, I can't show my emotion. And I'm just like, why don't you think that that would actually, you know, humanize you and the situation? And, and I can see why a lot of them don't want to because they're trying to put up a front of strength and you can count on us and we're going to get you through this. And I'm like, sure. But if you, if you break, 
And you can always leave and go up and be with colleagues and there you can cry and break down. And that's actually what's been happening. Thank goodness that that's been happening naturally. But to be with somebody who's dying and to cry with them, well, first off, if they're no longer around, you're not, you did everything you could. At this point, you can just be human with them. And for a lot of, of medical professionals, that's a moment that really is quite painful because it's going against the very reason why you went into the profession in the first place. So it's, it's definitely been an interesting behind the scenes look at, you know, I wonder about my own doctor and I wonder about my, uh, some of my other friends and, and the dentists and what they're thinking. And like we were talking beforehand, there's just an immense amount of stress, which is just being pushed off to the side. Yeah. I mentioned prior to recording, I had, I had an eye doctor appointment because I need new glasses and they wouldn't let me just use the old prescription. I was happy to do that. I was like, just give me the old one. It's still working. Uh, but they, I hadn't been tested in two years, so they wanted to redo it. Turns out I still have the same prescription, so they could have just given it to me, but that's okay. When I went in, you and I were supposed to do an interview just before Christmas, and I had to reschedule it because I had to get a COVID test. I woke up one morning and my throat was swollen almost shut. Like I could talk, but there were certain word sounds I couldn't make and stuff. It loosened up enough that I could meet with my client at 8 a.m. that morning. But in order to find out what was going on with my throat, I had to first get a COVID test. And I was like, I don't think it's COVID because I'm taking all the precautions. But we don't. Know. Yeah, but we don't know. So I had to get the COVID test. So we had to reschedule. And the COVID test came back negative. So when I met with my eye doctor, I was like, just to let you know, I recently had a COVID test just before the holidays and haven't really gone anywhere since. So I'm relatively safe-ish. And he was visibly relieved by me telling him that had wonderful things to say about my parents and how well they had raised me as we sort of left the appointment. But that's something that our professionals that we're working with, eye doctors, dentists, mental health clinicians, doctors, are carrying with everyone that they meet. So listeners, if you've had a recent COVID test and you happen to have an appointment with someone, let them know that you've had a negative test so that they can breathe a little bit easier. Because it's true, you guys are carrying a lot of that pressure in, I imagine kind of in small ways. I imagine it's sort of similar to, I have a model that I call the wall of awful that I, I talk about bricks being built up every time we fail, we get another brick in our wall. We have to get past that wall to be successful. I imagine it's kind of similar to that. Only instead of the bricks building a wall, the bricks are kind of like going in a backpack and you're just trying to carry all of these little bricks that have been building up and building up. No, that does that. That's actually a pretty um, acute description because it's especially lately. Like the longer and longer this goes on, the more the harder and harder, the heavier and heavier it seems to become. Because mm -hmm. that's that's something that you know a couple of uh, us therapists who try to get together, we we were discussing. It's like everybody, the dark humor is has is there, but the dark humor is not even. It used to take the edge off, and now it's it's just not. It's not. They're not working. It's not working the same. So, and it's just like. Compassion fatigue, it's just fatigue, it's, it's COVID fatigue. Uh, I have to back up though, because you were talking about going to, to get your eyeglasses done and you made me automatically think of an old comedian, Stephen Wright. One of his jokes was, you know, I was wearing a, a pair of prescription glasses the other day, uh, was walking through town, the prescription ran out, I couldn't see a thing. So <laughs> I always loved his deadpan sense of humor and I felt I need to inject some humor in here just because that's, that's just how we can keep uh, the conversation somewhat light. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, I try to do that with the show. Sometimes it, it's a little more challenging. This might be one of those episodes that's a little bit heavier and that's okay. Well, I got the backpack in there, but every once in a while, if I can put a balloon inside of there, you know, it helped. And that's where the humor comes in. And then I think ultimately is just really doubling down on in order to be psychologically flexible. Part of what that means is that we have to be able to expand and to be open and to just allow that, which is so to just be, and it's, it's the, uh, the observing mind doesn't judge what's going on. It just kind of sees what's going on. Um, a great way to think about this too, for people who've never had this concept of the observing mind versus your emotions, your thoughts, and so on, is the metaphor of the sky. And I use this one quite a bit. It's like we can look outside and if the sky is the observing mind, clouds and thunderstorms and snowstorms are the emotional states. And so what I'm obviously dealing with today is there's a storm and it's the, the sun is breaking through and then it's pouring and it's, the sun is breaking through and it's pouring. We've all experienced a day like that. I can either sit there and get upset every time it rains, or I can just continuously go about my business, the things that actually matter today, like being on this show with you. I could have just canceled and said, no, this is too much. The emotion's too much. I don't know. I don't want to be here. And I had the thought, but I also recognize that the sky is vast and it's huge and it has plenty of space for me to actually have that cloud there. And one of the first things I did with you is just identify, hey, a heads up, there's a cloud, there's a storm over here. It's going to be there. So let's just play with that. So I guess this interview is just a prime example of, but with the sky being that way, some days it could be a really terrible storm. It could be a very bad snowstorm. It could be a hurricane, but the sky can't be damaged by those things. And that is probably one of the most crucial components of that metaphor is that I'm feeling all this stuff right now talking with you and it goes and it comes and it goes and it comes. But the observing self, my true self, the self, can't be damaged by this internal experience which is going on. And we spend a lot of our time trying to avoid, get away from, escape from those things. So at the end of all of this, I think all of us as medical professionals and people who wore the masks and people who did what they needed to do We'll be able to look back on and, and maybe it wasn't the easiest path, but it would be the most meaningful path. That's awesome. That's, that's lovely. Honestly, when you were talking about the sky and the observing mind, I, I put on the perspective hat that I do so often with the show and thought about myself as a parent and the parents listening. And that's honestly one of the areas that is challenging for me as a parent uh, I imagine it's challenging for other folks as a parent. Yes. When I'm going through some stuff, like I, I'm pretty good at the observing mind. I'm pretty good at being like, this is just kind of how it is now. Like we got to do it this way. Yeah. It's when my kids are getting upset or when my wife is getting upset, I want to be able to comfort them. And it's not always necessary that I comfort them. So I'm trying to get better at, okay, you're feeling sad. That makes sense. This is a time to feel sad on occasion. It's, been a really challenging nine, 10 months, however many months into this we are. It's legitimate. You're like, that's normal that you're feeling sad or angry or lonely or bored. Well, and it's also 
totally normal that when you watch your wife in distress, you watch your children in distress. I watch my patients in distress. There's going to be a certain amount because they matter. And that's, this is another component I try to get people to see is like it hurts because there's something that actually matters to you. There's a value that's there. We tend to pay a lot of time paying attention to the pain of presence. So that, that's my child is crying. That's the pain of presence. And that's something I want, I want to do something, especially the thinking mind. How can we fix this? And fixing usually gets us into a lot of trouble. Sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. But more importantly, and it's much more difficult to detect, is the pain of absence. And that would be a, say, a sense of connectedness. When your child is upset about something, you're not connected because you can watch them just close off in front of you. When I'm with a doctor and I can watch them close off in front of me, I get disconnected. That's also a very real pain, but it's also much more harder to detect. So I often ask people to just always notice. It's always in twos. There's the pain of presence, COVID. There's the pains of pain of absence. I can't connect how I used to connect. I can't belong in a way that I'm used to belonging. And there's no peace and there's no tranquility. And then the next question is based upon values. What can we do, however creative and how small it might be, that will allow us to touch that moment of connection, belonging. And this is where people do use what we're doing right now, the video, or they'll stand you know, on one side of the fence and the other side of the fence. And this was a lot easier in the summer because we could actually get near each other, but we still can't walk up and give each other a hug. And I know how you are, but with friends and family, I love bear hugs. I love just being in close. Yep. That's, that's actually what's underneath all of this. And it's okay. Yeah. And that pain of disconnection yes is shared right and that's kind of the interesting and i sort of bitterly ironic part of it right i'm thinking of when when a client closes down on you or your kid closes down on you or your spouse closes down on you and especially when you're in that moment with them you're not the only one experiencing the pain of that closure they are too and that's why we kind of have to ride that out so that the door remains open. Like they can shut the door, but our door is still open. And we're like, anytime you're ready to come through, if we can maintain that open door for them, it becomes easier for them to reconnect. Yeah. But if we experience that pain in a way that causes us to also close off, now it's harder for that reconnection to happen. And there's not a whole lot you and I can do about that pain of presence. I mean, obviously if I cut myself, the pain of presence you know, the pain of absence is I don't have a state of peace, but the pain of presence, I can actually go get a Band-Aid and do something about it. I'm still going to have to deal with the, the soreness. So that's not going to go away. But the pain of absence in a relationship, I can do something about. I can just simply know that by I can be. So the thing that's being absent is a sense of peace and connection. I can be connection. I can just simply be instead of trying to fix. Because usually if I'm trying to fix and I'm getting into your business and you know, they're not even paying attention to you in the first place. And then I have people like, they're not even listening to me. I'm like, you're right, because they're not connected. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned to do that with one of my kids where for a long time, I just talk too much because it's, it's anxiety, right? It's like, I'm worried about my kid. My kid is upset. I'm trying to come up with all the possible solutions that he might not have come up with yet because he's not old enough to know the solutions. Right. Which doesn't work. Uh, and as COVID has taught me, like I just shut up and I hang with him. So I'll be like, all right, bud. Do you want me to stick around? Do you want me to leave? <laughs> and that's the about the only question I give them. And after that, if it's stick around, I'm just there 
quietly. And if it's leave, I'll leave for a little while and come back again after half an hour or however long seems appropriate at the time to let them know I'm still around. But also I get it. We're stuck in the same house with each other. Sometimes you just need to be by yourself and that's okay. And the hard part is actually falling back and being like, okay, what do I need in this moment? What am I noticing? What's happening with me? And then what does this, what does the other person need in this moment? And you might, you might not know. So the best that you can do is just be present and be ready. Just be open, but it hurts. And it's really hard. We don't want to be open when we're in pain. You know, you get hit by something. The first thing we do is we try to collapse in and protect ourselves. It's just an automatic response, but it's, it's counterintuitive. It goes against this state of openness. I might get hit. Every time I sit with the patient, I might get hit. But if I actually went into a, into a session and did it the old fashioned way where you lie on my couch and I'm off on the side with a clipboard and you can't see me, that gives me a certain sense of, of distance but I don't know that they don't, you, you're still in the picture. And it just, it kind of changes. I think that's why therapy has moved away from that as being a standard. It's still useful in some cases, but it's not, it's not the standard. Carl Rogers pretty much addressed a lot of that. And when it comes to the whole, the parenting component that you're bringing up, I just did a, um, an interview with somebody, what, three weeks ago as well for wellnesstalks.org. And we talked about this, like as a parent, what are some of the things that we can do? And, and her name was Darlene. And she said, number one complaint from children is that my parents just don't listen. And I was like, oh, and, and she gave some great examples, but the parents are trying to give the child guidance, trying to, and all the child really want was the parent to say, yeah, this really sucks. Is there something I can do? No, I just need to sit on this. And parents should let them do that because that's how they learn how to come up with their own mechanisms and their own tools so that we don't end up with children in their late teens, early 20s who come in and say, like, Todd, I've never really learned how to manage something that I can't change. Real life story metaphor, if I can lighten things up a little bit. So the boys and I went skiing yesterday. The mountain was way more crowded than I thought it was going to be. And that was kind of its own challenge, both because of long lines and also because of you're not social distancing in the way that you're supposed to everybody who is here. Uh, we tried. I kept, I kept having my boys give the person ahead of us like six feet in the hopes that the people behind us would get the hint. It didn't always work. Sometimes it did. But so we're, we're going up and down the mountain. And in the beginning, they were, Nate was having a good time. Gavin was kind of struggling a little bit some of it was he was just generally tired he hadn't slept as well the night before and his uh we had this particular mountain there's a bunch of areas where you have to go uphill just because like to get to a chairlift kind of thing you have to go uphill a little bit right and he was just struggling with that a little bit it's a skill he has but yesterday he wasn't using it kind of a thing you mean like the sidestepping or yeah sidestepping and reverse snow plowing and doing the wedge and all that stuff so he just wasn't quite doing what he knows how to do. And I don't know if that was because he was tired and frustrated or if it was like, I, have, I don't know, he just wasn't. So there was some frustration happening for him. And we went on our final run because I was like, they're tapped. Gavin's tapped. Nate's doing okay, but he's happy to leave too. So I was like, all right, we're we'll bounce. This is our last run. So we go up to the summit, take a picture of him at the summit like I always do. And then my glasses fogged up because of my mask. <laughs> so like I couldn't see anything and I had to fix that before I could go down a mountain. 
So I'm fixing my glasses and the two of them just took off, which is totally okay. They're good skiers. It's a little more icy and much more crowded than they're used to. I head down, they're already gone and I'm going down, I'm going down. And I see this, this guy who is stopping with a kid in an orange helmet who is on the ground. And I'm like, that's my kid. Cause they both have orange helmets. And I'm like, oh man. So I go over and it's Gavin and he just kind of fell over and he's okay. Right. So I'm talking to him. I'm like, you okay, bud. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. And he's, I'm t- I tell the guy he belongs to me. So the guy can continue on his merry little way. Gavin's getting up. He's, it's a little tricky f- to get up on skis. So he's kind of getting up and slipping and stuff. Right. Especially for, with where we were. And as he's getting up and I'm not helping him, I'm just letting him because practice independence. I look down the mountain and I see another kid in an orange helmet on the ground with like three people around him, three or four people. And he's holding his face. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and I look down to Gavin and I'm like, Gav, Nate's down too. He's hurt. Are you okay? Like, can you figure this out? And Gavin's like, yeah, I'll be all right. I'm like, okay, cool. So I zip down the mountain. I get to Nate. There's blood all over the snow. <laughs> and he had a, he had collided with someone and had a bloody nose. So it wasn't like he didn't break anything. It wasn't a big deal but he is bleeding and I don't have any tissues or anything on me. Luckily, one of the kids he banged into had a tissue. So he's got a tissue on his nose, soaking up the blood. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> so Nate kind of is collecting himself and getting himself squared away. Gavin's figuring out how to come down the mountain. Eventually he comes down the mountain. He gets to us and they're identical twins, which is factors into this next part. So he gets down to us. The other kids kind of leave. Gavin pulls his mask down to ask Nate how he's doing. And Gavin has a bloody nose. Oh. And I'm like, what? Like, is this magic twin powers? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, Tomax and Zaymot. Like, what the heck? Gavin still doesn't know. He's like, I don't think I hit my nose, but I don't know. It's cold. Who knows why his nose started bleeding? Yeah, it's cold. It's dry. Yeah. Could be magic twin powers. That's my favorite version of the story. This was a really long trail. The reason they like this particular mountain and this particular trail is it's like two miles long. Like, it's it's... It takes a while to go down this trail. 15, 20 minutes to get all the way down. Yeah. So this is kind of a good metaphor for COVID, right? Like I'm feeling kind of helpless because I don't have the tools that I need, right? I don't have a first aid kit or tissues and stuff to clean off their noses with even, which I'll fix that problem. That's going to get solved before we ski again. But also we're in the middle of it. The only option we have is to ski down the mountain. That's all we can do. We All we can do is collect ourselves, get ourselves back up and back to balance so that we're feeling okay and head back down the mountain. And that's a, that's a great metaphor for emotions. That's a great a metaphor for cancer. In, in my book, Team Positive, I, the, the book starts with, it's like the heroes of old. You're in your village, you're doing your thing, you, and all of a sudden something happens, blam. And the only real direction you have is forward. Or I think of my grandfather because he, he was with the 105th Airborne. So I like to watch periodically Band of Brothers because I figure if he could get through that, then I can get through this. So I, I watched that and just like, you know, Gramps, you know, give me some help here. And it's the same, it's the same idea. It's, we can move forward. I mean, you could just kind of give up, sit on the hill and cry about it, but you're just going to get cold. You, you're just going to, you could try to go back up to the top and take a lift down. That would have been harder <laughs> where we were. Yeah, it would have been harder. But it's amazing how many times in, in myself as well, we will push into it in a direction which is opposite of our values. So going down the hill in that moment would be what matters, the, the personal value. Pushing up is going away from it. 
but it seems like the better logical idea, especially if you're close enough. But even if it was only, you know, quarter of a mile versus or 1.75 in the other direction, that 0.25 is just going to be way, way more difficult than just going down the hill. And the other, the other piece that I think was telling was once we got down and, and like kind of figured everything out, we went to the bathroom and I cleaned their faces and all that stuff. Then they were in a really good mood They're They were in a much better mood for the rest of the day. Not that they were necessarily in a bad mood earlier in the day. They like skiing. They're having right. fun, but their mood was that much more elevated. And a piece of that was, that was a hard thing to go through and they survived it and they were okay. And they, made it through that challenge and now they're feeling this level of accomplishment and success that can only come with challenge well and they finally fell because part of it is you go skiing in the back of your mind like you're trying to go through the trip and not fall because that's the unpleasant thing you don't want to do or i used to be like all right i'm just going to wait for the first fall and somebody's like why like because once i've done once i do that then i'll be fine the rest of the time and I used to do piano recitals a long time ago. And I used to hope that I would screw up immediately because then I'm like, okay, got that out of the way. Now we can go. Or, you know, in a lot of different ways, it's just like, just, it, it comes back to that level of acceptance. Can I just accept the things I cannot change? Do I have the courage to actually apply myself in a moment where I can change something? And then more importantly, having wisdom to notice the difference. What are you finding? You mentioned earlier that like a third to half of your clients are dealing with anxiety before COVID and now we have COVID hitting. So I imagine there's more anxiety happening. There's COVID anxiety happening. What does that look like? What, what are they kind of struggling with and what are some of the strategies and, and, and tactics that you're providing to them to help them manage it? So interesting thing is that some of the folks where we're one of the primary components would actually cause us something called psychological rigidity. So I'm trying to help you develop psychological flexibility, but as humans, we tend to try to come up with solutions and we, we get a more and more of a narrow view. So that's, that's where I believe a lot of the issues comes from, whether it's uh, anxiety disorders, depression disorders, and even if you have more of a medical condition or a logical condition, like, like ADHD, it's just like certain things keep happening and the world keeps shrinking. So your view becomes a little bit more narrow and our approach becomes more rigid. So a lot of the skills I'd want to use would, would be to try to open things back up to become aware of this process and allow you to have more flexibility, which is ultimately what a lot of people want, this you know, being autonomous. COVID at first, for some of the folks that would utilize experiential or ex- trying to avoid any kind of thing. The, the introverts, as uh, a lot of people like to use that label, they did fine at first, because that was just the coping mechanism that they, that's typically used or just how they're designed. And this is fine. And some of the introverts that I work with, they're still good with that, but it's gone so far introvert and for so long that even the introverts are like, ah, this is too much. And part of it, so some of the, the tools we've, we've touched a little bit on already, but it breaks down into three categories, becoming aware, learning how to, to become more open, which means more present, and then engaging. So if you really want to think about the approach, it just be open or aware, open, engaged, or open, aware, engaged. You can, doesn't really matter where you start. You're still going to strengthen that muscle, that skill. So for instance, the, um, Awareness would be something like diffusion. And that would be noticing your thoughts. 
this is where mindfulness really comes into play and why mindfulness has become such a big thing. But we do have to be careful with mindfulness because if I'm using mindfulness as a way to escape something, to control an inner, inner experience, I'm pretty much just doing the same thing I was doing beforehand, trying to escape into media, television, food, drink, shopping, whatever it happens to be. It's okay short term. If we can just keep rotating around, a lot of times we get stuck in one and then it just it causes a different problem. Like I've seen a lot of memes where, you know, I need to learn how to social distance from the refrigerator. Because <laughs> that is, it's a place where people are going for comfort and we get we get a double po- or we get a double reinforcement there. We get a positive reinforcement from the foods that we're eating, but we also get something called negative reinforcement. And this is not the same as punishment, where a lot of people think that that's it. Negative is that I'm actually escaping. I'm stepping away from something which is causing me pain and moving into a place that does not cause pain. So getting up and moving away from that personal experience to go get that cup of uh, hot chocolate. So the hot chocolate is the positive reinforcement because the sugar and the fats and everything that's involved with that and the actual smells. But the negative reinforcement is, is that I'm not having to deal with that initial um, experience of pain. So it's, it's a double bind which most people don't quite understand. Punishment is a little bit different. Punishment is something that actually causes, stops you in your tracks, possibly causes a different kind of pain and cuts you off from something. Classic conditioning terminology for anybody who ever wants to look into it. The, the diffusion and seeing your thoughts, and I do a lot of logging your thoughts, write them down. If you notice that there's a thought coming up a lot, put it out there and then name it. So. I, I often will joke with people like, who are you talking to? Oh, I was just talking to Joe. And they're like, there's, there's nobody around here, Todd. And I'm like, oh, no, Joe is that, that side of me, which is highly critical, but pushes me. I love Joe because Joe helps me plan the future. Joe helps me stay on track and make sure that I stay healthy. But sometimes Joe's a real taskmaster. And I got to just tell Joe, I'm like, you know what, Joe? I really appreciate you trying to help me out here right now, but I'm good. So it's, it's just personifying that aspect of yourself to relate to it. And people are like, so you're advocating that we talk to voices in your head. You already have them. They're already there. <laughs> so what I'm actually asking you to do is to objectify them, make them so that you can actually interact with them. And that's what awareness is all about, is just being able to give yourself some distance from your emotions, from your thoughts. Yeah, it depersonalizes it. So we realize that those thoughts are not necessarily us. No. Yep. Yeah. Mine is named Zach. So I'm with you. All right. Well, yeah, I've got Joe. You've got Zach. Um, my wife, she's got Gail. I mean, every, everybody comes up with different names. I love the name Gail because that's like awesome. It's like a Gale storm. Like, rah. Yeah, and that's it, good. I'm like, I'm st- maybe I have a Gale. <laughs> it's full of hot air, Gale. <laughs> and it doesn't actually matter if it's a male or a female, you know, typical name. You can name it whatever you like because we have masculine and feminine aspects in every single one of us, whether you are male or female. Those those tend to get collapsed too. And I always try to get people to see like, sometimes I've got that, that feminine voice that's pushing me. It's like, so whatever. It's not real. It's just me. <laughs> but it is a component of who we are. And that's the whole becoming aware. The other side of where of awareness is um, the acceptance and acceptance is harder because acceptance deals with the emotion and the physical sensation. But this is why I'll do a lot of what's happening in your body right now. Notice that. And if we try to escape the, those emotions, the sensations that are connected to those emotions, if we try to get away from them. 
some techniques will work, but then we eventually will probably find ourselves right back there and that will be intensified and we amplify it. So I'm just like, we could do that or you could just simply hold it lightly in, in space, in your hand. You have to visualize it in your hand. And I do a lot of visualization. What shape, where is it in your body? What shape does it have? Does it have a color? Once again, we're objectifying that which we're typically subject to. That allows us some space. So that's, that's the awareness. Openness is being present right here, right now in this very moment. And then something called the self as context. And this is not the easiest concept to get your, to wrap your head around, but the easiest way would be sky, the self as context and everything within it, the storms, that's the context and, and where I am. Um, you were talking about you're with your, you're with your kids, you're going down the mountain. You can't see your kids, you see your kids are happy. Now in the context of skiing, you can be you, the person. So that's, that's how you identify in that moment. You're actually wobbling and trying to get through it. You see one of your kids down, now the context just switched. Something else has just happened. You're not gonna worry as much about this context because it's that context which actually matters. And that's how you show up. Now you're showing up as dad versus the guy who actually stopped to help, help your child who fell down. That was the context of the Good Samaritan. I mean, that's the role he put on in that moment. And context changes fast. And yet, if you look at the observing self, the observing mind, that's been there since the beginning of your, of your existence, conception. But the context has changed continuously. So there's something that I would identify and say, this is me, this is I. But this body that I'm sitting in now is not the body when I was 10 years old, but I'll sit here and say, yes, that was my body. And yeah, physiologically speaking, it, it was, but the context, the packaging has changed. And that's another place where we get in trouble because we try to take those rules and tools that we created at that time and apply them now. And they're not the same. It'd be like trying to wear that 10 year old's Star Wars t-shirt now. It's just, I, I would be really uncomfortable. And in a way that's what's happening mentally. Finally, the biggest component is the, is the engagement. And a lot of times I'll start there because it's one of the easier places to work into it. And it's basically boils down into what really matters to you. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really getting to the core of I'm creative. I, I'm autonomous. I need to connect. I'm, I'm adventurous. I want to see things. I want to go new places. Um, I, I love the quiet serenity of a garden in the backyard where it's just peaceful and figuring out what those things are. And of course, given the context in a relationship, what matters the most to you in your downtime, what matters the most to you in your work sphere, what matters the most to you. And so I spent a lot of time helping people just really drill down into what I call your prime values, try to find five of those. And, and I go into this in, in my book as well, because coming through cancer or coming through a diagnosis, even ADHD diagnosis, if we can start to focus on what do you want to see more of in your life? What matters deep down to you? You have a direction and a compass instead of a goal, because once we achieve a goal, it's, it's not because values and goals aren't the same thing, but the values will give me a, an idea of a direction. And I'll be using your mountain metaphor. I want to go down to the, the clubhouse and I, that that's easterly. And that's the direction I need to go. That's the value. Now the clubhouse is on the way to East, but once you got to the clubhouse, once you're done for the day, then 
east is home or west is home so that you the what value is important now and as you're skiing down the hill getting to the bottom is the value that's the direction that i would like to go and even if you fall on the hill and you cause a nosebleed in the midst of all this you knew where you needed to go the value the clubhouse the direction so values work becomes essential because once you know what it is that matters the most to you I've found that goals and direction or um, decisions are a lot easier to make. Not necessarily any easier emotionally, but they're easier. Like your, your observing mind knows, nope, this is, this is where I need to go. That's where my life will end up being meaningful versus throwing myself into tedious things to escape, avoid control, that at the end of the day, I haven't moved in a direction that's meaningful. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Sure. So I know this is, we didn't really touch a whole lot on ADHD and I wish we could have gotten more into that, but I think that the underlying theme, what I've been dealing with as a clinician, um, what you were dealing with as a father, these, these life experiences, which just come crashing out of nowhere. And right now they're COVID. So that's like blatantly obvious, but other times with something like ADHD or anxiety or depression, those are like slow creeps. They come on slowly and we don't necessarily see them until we're, we're experiencing a whole bunch, a bunch of what the heck is going on. And for some with COVID, that may have been the case, like this isn't real. And then all of a sudden it's, it was a slow boil and boom, is that these tools apply. These, these tools can be applied. The hum, a human being can only interact and do things in a certain way. There's a certain set of universal rules that if we can pay closer attention to that, that would help us to, to manage that. And so with those who are listening to this that do have ADHD and if they're struggling with it, then the same things would apply. Learning skills that allow you to become more aware, that allow you to expand and to become more open, to just hold a place for that, and then give you an anchor, a grounding or a direction would, would still work well in that that aspect and if you wanted to pick up something where it puts it all in one place i like i said i've written a, a book the book was called uh, team positive how to build support for someone coping with chronic illness and in the book i talk about while we traditionally go in and i had written it a lot of primarily for cancer patients you know people that were dealing with an actual physical um, ailment and we could argue that adhd is too just not one we can see and it's not one that typically um can kill you is like like cancer. It's not as uh, as critical so quickly. We can argue that one as well, I suppose. But um, I, I've put a lot of those tools inside of that of that book, showing you like here's that initial mindset. Oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this, and I've been diagnosed with ADHD. What does that mean? How do I get through this? To how do you build your team? Because you got to have those supports. And so the second part of the book is really all about building a team. It's not only building a team for the person with a diagnosis. It's for everybody trying to support that person because that's crit. That's crucial. If you have ADHD and nobody believes it's real, you're going to have a real hard time. And people want to support you because you matter to them and vice versa. But they don't. This is really is that really a thing? It's you're just eating too much sugar or whatever it is they would do to completely invalidate your system. And no, ADHD is definitely a very real thing. There are neurological components we can see. But it's, it's how to get them educated, how to be there, how to get have the right mindset. And then finally, the, the back end of the book from chapter six onwards are all these tools that I've been talking about throughout this, this conversation. So 
you can grab that on Amazon and, and it's like, I've tried to keep the price reasonable. So it's not, it's not a textbook. You're not paying 50 bucks for it. It's actually, it was designed for clinicians and for support folks and for people with the actual diagnosis. At the very least walking away with be open, be aware, be engaged. Even if you fail, it's still telling you what direction you're going or not going. And if we don't move at all, we have no data. still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website adhdessentials.com and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.